Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech the podcast that travels the world of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and we've just made the ultimate pilgrimage for them. So join us on our quest to the glorious world of Ghibli. This is a very special series of Ghibliotech recorded in Japan, our Tokyo stories, if you will. Yes, at the end of 2019, we travelled to Tokyo on a Ghibli jaunt, one full of incredible experiences and conversations that we'll be bringing you over four episodes of the podcast. And what amazing experiences we had. We went to the Ghibli Museum. Five hours ago, we entered its doors. Mm. That's how long we were there. Yeah, and you could probably spend another five hours in there as well. We got some fascinating insights on working as an animator in Japan. As soon as I realised I might have the opportunity to see Takahata-san or Suzuki-san, I thought, oh, come on, I'm going to do this, you know. And we actually met up with former Ghibli, now Studio Ponok, producers as well. Because there is some controversy internationally oh, just with a little. certain audiences yeah. <laughs> about which version sure. to watch. And I Sub versus dub, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've just said that I've been watching the films wrong this whole time. Yeah, yeah. I... Wasted your time, man. Yeah. <laughs> when we started the podcast, it was a pipe dream that we joke about, that someday we'd actually go and record in Japan. And, well, that happened. We travelled around Tokyo hunting for locations from the films, people who could give us their unique insights into Ghibli... And also for an original Only Yesterday poster. We were also looking for that too, yes. And lots of things to eat. And that as well. Before all of that, though, we actually had to get there. So, Jake, we're on a flight right now. We are on a flight. And as they say in The Wind Rises, airplanes, they're beautiful dreams. Well, actually, Jake, in The Wind Rises, they say they're beautiful and cursed dreams. Let's hope this is more of a beautiful dream than a cursed one. Yeah, I feel like... As we reach the end of our Ghibli journey and we head to Japan, to the Ghibli Museum, this surely can't be cursed. This is going to be a wonderful trip, right? Yeah. So there's the Ghibli Museum, Studio Ponok. We're going to check in on the next generation of animators. Yeah, and most importantly, really, 
eating a Totoro-shaped cream puff. Oh, I know that's high up on your list, isn't it? I know high up on my list. I, that's worth the flight price in itself, isn't it? Just one cream puff, and they will come straight back. For me, merchandise. Yeah. We had a quick look in the office before we left at the Acorn Republic official Stuart Ghibli merchandise store, and it's full of wonders. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'll be able to hold myself back when I see these things in the flesh. <laughs> You're going to be waking up using that jet lag as an excuse to why you're clawing at the door at 6am to be let in <laughs> jonesing for a fix of yeah. my princess Mononoke jacket yeah 400 pounds well spent thankfully for my family's sake i didn't spend 400 pounds on a princess Mononoke jacket but there were quite a few bits of ghibli merch purchased on the trip and we'll get to them later and we'll also get to our trip to the Ghibli Museum, as well as our conversations with Studio Ponock and animator Paul Williams later as well. In this episode, we're bringing you our suburban adventures in the west of the city. I was going to make the trip of a lifetime to visit the Tama Hills of Whisper of the Heart, and Jake was making the trip of a lifetime to eat a cream-filled pastry troll. Before all of that, though, it was day one. We had just arrived in Tokyo, having flown from London, and as I'm sure anyone who's ever flown that far can attest to, it makes for some pretty substantial jet lag. We arrived, had our first in an ongoing series of katsu curries, and went to bed. And by the time we woke up, we had no idea what time it was. Luckily though, the first thing we were doing that day was visiting a clock. And not just any clock, but a really big clock. A clock designed by Hayao Miyazaki. That's actually what it's called, by the way. The N.I. Telly Really Big Clock. You can find it in an area of Tokyo called Shiodome, which used to just be a railway station and is now one of Tokyo's most modern areas, with one sleek glass skyscraper lining up perfectly to the next. But once you step out of the train station and look towards the Nippon Television Tower, that's the same Nippon TV who co-produced Ocean Waves and have assisted in production on every Ghibli film since Kiki's Livery Service, you'll see what looks like some odd, giant copper bird feet jutting out of the stainless steel. So, Michael, we've got a wide-angle view of the clock at the moment. Exactly, yeah. But Taking it all in. They have just opened the gates to give us a little bit of a close-up so we can go and take a nice look at exactly what Miyazaki was up to when he put down the pencil and decided to do metal work instead. Let's go for it. So looking at it at a distance, I said that it looked like Swiss chocolate box steampunk. Yeah. Up close, we're looking at a clawed foot. Yeah. That is clad in metal. It's quite a lovely structure, isn't it? It really is. It's that, even though, as we've said, it's very metallic and in some ways quite foreboding, those claws are very sharp, but almost all of its housing is quite rounded and soft, soft edges. And it's totally at odds to every building around it. Everything around us is grey, glass. So when do you think this, this area was redeveloped? This looks like definitely something in the last 15 years. Yeah. Very glass, everything around us. So this fantasy creation from another era, another dimension is just plumped here on the side of the well, TV I think tower. Another dimension's great because there are only two legs to it. The other half of the clock looks like it's inside the building. Yeah. Like it's just been propelled into it or appeared right there. I wonder how much involvement he actually had. 
Well, this looks like it is completely his creation, doesn't it? I wonder if you can get inside. We had actually arrived at the clock just before 10 a.m. when it was scheduled to begin a mechanical blacksmith automata meets cuckoo clock routine. But 10 a.m. came and went and nothing happened. This was our first Ghibli adventure of the trip. And there was us, producer Harold and producer Steph, a small crowd of other fans all standing in the rain and the wind, very aware that nothing was happening. Until my question about whether someone could get inside the clock was answered quite dramatically. Two maintenance blokes have just turned up. Yeah. They've hooked themselves onto the, uh, the exterior of the structure. This is like tales of real adventure stuff. They've got a, a rope and a carabiner. <laughs> but this is such great insight. Yeah. After saying how, as a creative, Miyazaki was obsessed with the inner workings of his mm. creations, we are seeing the inner workings now as they are being worked. I wonder if this is almost a little hint as to what the Studio Ghibli theme park may be mm. when it opens in a few years' time. If it's going to be designed to this specificity and intricacy. The inscription here on the sign is that the, the clock was designed by director Hayao Miyazaki. And it marks the passage of time with its many fascinating surprises. We had one fascinating surprise as we arrived to find that it was under maintenance. <laughs> but even within inspecting it. Yeah, well in a way we've we've had more of a surprise than a lot of visitors would have got because we've seen this clock which is so much about its own inner workings, receiving its own inner workings. Four or five men clambering around this up, around its hidden ladders, moving its claws, adjusting its cannons. And we're just getting an inside look on a really lovely creation that is surprisingly abstract as well. Yeah. Like, it doesn't tell you exactly what any part of it really is. As you say, it doesn't have a human face to try and connect with it directly like we might with Howl's Moving Castle. It's this wonderful palette of expression that is filled with all these odd little pockets of stylistic inspiration. But I do wonder if, if we had seen it in motion, would a narrative have presented itself? Mm. Characters, meanings. This is almost the closest Miyazaki would ever come to creating a piece of public art. Mm. And as that, it is something completely unique and so strange to encounter. But even within that, we're able to identify so many aspects of that man's personal artistic impetus. So the fact that we can see the, the inner workings have been taken into account to the point where people can move around inside to give, give it maintenance. That goes all the way back to how Miyazaki was just a guy who liked drawing planes and tanks. Well, we, we talk in these films about them building worlds so much that we feel like we have a seat at the table within it. Imagine being these men here on maintenance today and they're inside of Miyazaki production. Or is it just as boring as unblocking a U-Bend for them? I think our abstract reading of the stationary clock certainly has a little bit of value to it. Yeah, but maybe don't go reading too much into the idea that the really big clock doesn't tell a story. If you look it up online, you can see it's cannons, pistons, teapots and blacksmiths crafting quite a beautiful brass ballet. And don't go feeling that bad for us either. The clock face still worked and told us that we had to get back to the train station. We were heading west. 
towards some very special country roads. Train journeys were unsurprisingly a huge part of our time in Tokyo. Whilst the idea of spending a week hopping in and out of the tube or metro lines may not seem like the best way to use your time in Japan, they do make the experience quite impressive. Spotless stations with incredibly good food at every turn, heated seats on some lines, and wonderfully, birdsong that was piped down to the underground platforms. I'm not joking about the incredible food. If you've ever heard of the film Jiro Dreams of Sushi, about multiple Michelin star holding sushi chef Jiro Ono, his restaurant is actually in a Tokyo train station. The train stations, unsurprisingly in a pilgrimage about Studio Ghibli, became quite pivotal to our time in Tokyo. In fact, the first time we went to Shinjuku Station, the so big that it has over 200 exits, the first thing we encountered was a pop up bookshop. And we lost an hour rummaging through all of it, especially the program notes for Ghibli films that sprouted from a few of the boxes. Another station that was already on our radar for its shopping, not just for its transport, was Tokyo Station, and in particular a parade of shops called Character Street, where we'd heard of a Ghibli shop that rivaled the museum's own. Our merchandise hunting had to be put aside for a moment, though, as we first had to ride the rails west to Seiseki Sakuragoka in Tama. Where even the sounds of the train knew about our Ghibli journey. In case you couldn't make it out, that was a lovely rendition of Country Roads by John Denver, a song that's key to the film Whisper of the Heart. And it wasn't the only thing related to the film that greeted us on arrival. So that today we got the train out、mm-hmm. to Seiseki Sakura. Oka Station, which is out in the Tama Hills,、yep. western Tokyo suburbs. And if you head out of the west exit, then just on the outside, you'll find the model of a small familiar house and a map. And we're following that map. And none of this is actually Ghibli branded, but it strongly hints. Uh, the reason why you may be here, which is because Whisper of the Heart was set in and based on this area. Yeah, and that little house outside the station, it's got a little letterbox in it, and you're encouraged to write your dreams down on a piece of paper and slip them into the letterbox. And I mean, we may not be getting a magical feline baron. Mm-hmm. To take us on fantasy adventures. But I think we've got a pretty good dream scenario happening right now. You can probably hear it in our voices and our footsteps. We went on a bit of an uphill trek once we left the station. And we were pretty much recreating the scenes from early on in Whisper of the Heart, where a young girl called Shizuku is taken on a winding journey through a hilly suburb, following a self assured cat from the train station to a little antique shop. Which kickstarts a magic, romantic journey of self discovery. I wonder if you're my metaphorical cat. I think we both are, each other's cats. But what we are walking up are steps that cut through the winding hillside roads here. Yeah.、It's、these 
lovely hairpins that just cut through the hill. And viewers might remember some red stairs that Shizuku runs down. And I think we've just found them. Admittedly, stairs have been ruined for any film fans this year by Joaquin Phoenix dancing down them in Joker. I mean, this is our own dance of freedom. <laughs> On the side of the street up here, we've found a little shrine. But of course, this is not just any old shrine. Of course, it's the shrine from a scene in Whisper of the Hearts. And next to the shrine is a plastic cabinet inside of which there is a little house type structure where you can put in 100 yen. And we're not quite sure what this is. But because we're not quite sure what it is, we're just going to go and we're going to try it. Yeah. We have received a small piece of card with some writing on it. Using Google Translate, other translation services are available. Look up and see what it says. I think it's, it's, a, little, it's a little shrine fortune. Love fortune. Does it open? I will gradually open my luck. Both others are, but all of them. You will be blessed with an encounter when there is a one-sided person, decide a good time. If you choose to confess, will be fulfilled. If you're already in a relationship, you'll make good progress. Go on a trip and get better. That is beautiful. It's a well of calm on the side of the hill, isn't it? Yeah, when, and in the film it's a little moment of pause. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's perfectly aligned with this moment in our trip, hasn't it, really? After the chaos and craziness of Shinjuku and Akihabara, mm. we'll come out to Tama. Yeah. A brief pause that will end with a hearty <laughs> railway station curry. Yeah. And I want to ask you, having ranked Whisper of the Heart number one on this list and held this film in such a special place for so long where so many other people will have ignored it or not yeah. seen it. Coming out here now, having made this multi-thousand mile trip, what's this moment like for you? A very indulgent moment, perhaps. But it's, it's wild. It's really nice to come here as a counterpoint to the bustle of central Tokyo. And you, as we've said, you do have a deeper appreciation of the film the characters' motivations within the film. But it also reaffirms just how much Yoshifumi Kondo, Miyazaki and the whole of the Ghibli crew brought to that project, that they turned a sleepy commuter suburb into such a space of fantasy and wonder and beauty and romance. Yeah, I mean, we, we shouldn't pretend that we've, like, walked into the film here. Uh -huh. like, this is very much just a suburban place. Yeah. But that's why the film is so good, that yeah. if you were living in a place like this and then you watch that film, it would transform where you Exactly, live. the world outside your window. And even the panoramic view that we're trying to find, there are a few shots that we had in mind from the film that must have been completely fabricated shots, fantasy shots, where they have the panorama of the town below from the hillside. 
that we can't really find right now. Yeah, well, we talk about this film as being one of the real-world yeah. Ghibli films. But let's think of the, that end scene. It's so heightened in its actions, this, this the propose, emotions. Yeah, the emotion, but the, the idea of the teenage romance, marriage proposal, it's extremely intense stuff. And it would make sense that the image in the background is saturated and mm. made up of this fictional version of this city because they are taking this indulgent fantasy moment and bringing it into their world. And that is representative of so many of the great establishing shots across the whole film, where you see the, t the townscape at night, maybe with the cat in the foreground. You see the trains passing through the buildings. You see the neon signs. We're here during the day, so we can't really see that. We can see the train trundling through. Yeah, I felt like that was quite actually yeah. a, a bit of a moment for me, <laughs> just standing there looking at this city and seeing, the, seeing a train, not like super clearly, not a close-up or anything, but just finding its way through the cityscape. Mm. And that's the same kind of shot that we see in so many of the films. Yeah. So, an indulgent excursion, perhaps, but one that has been valuable for us. Right. It feels like an important one to make for this podcast. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Michael, you said that our trip out to Tama was a bit indulgent. But compared to another of our suburban excursions, its indulgency pales in comparison. That's very true, Jake. Also out in western Tokyo is Setagaya Daita, and if you get off the train there and wander around the back streets for a short while, you might stumble upon an indulgent, cream-filled, ghibli morning snack. Or four, in our case. Good morning, Jake. Good morning, Michael. So we've ventured out to Setagaya Daita station, Yes, quite picturesque. Straight into a building site. <laughs> and naturally, amongst building sites and concrete and tarmac and all this uh, housing and industry, we're going to find a spirit of the forest. And not just any spirit of the forest. A lovely, creamy, pastry version of the spirit of the forest. Well, as we know, Stuart Ghibli very closely guard the, the rights to do anything with their characters. And mm. they need to make sure that if 
you are going to take one of their beloved characters and turn it into anything, it has to be the highest standard and the most appropriate. So that is why we've, that's why we've made this journey, to get the, the highest quality, authorised Ghibli cream puff. It's quite early in the day. It's half ten a good time for a cream puff. Is it an afternoon tea sort of thing? I we'll think find out. any time is surely a good time for a cream puff. One thing we have found on the website as well, when you, when you Google this place, Shirohige's Cream Puff Factory. When you Google them, you also see that there are little ponyo desserts as well. I don't know if they'll be available today, if they were a limited thing. Well, and yeah, lots of limited Ghibli designs that are being baked for customers willing to make the pilgrimage out here. And one thing I know about you, Jake, is that you do like licensed merch that you can eat. Yes, that is true. That has been the thing that I've been seeking out. Even when we've been into the arcade claw machines, mm -hmm. really the only ones that I've been gravitating to the wards are the ones where I can maybe eat the prize. And this is a great claw machine because I'm going to win every time. Just I just hand you. them over money and I get a cream puff. After making our journey, getting lost in the roads and roadworks surrounding Shirohige's cream puff factory, we were ready for an onslaught of Ghibli as we entered the building. But that wasn't quite what we found. We were shuffled up a small flight of stairs where we found seating for maybe 15 people and it felt more like a tea room from a small British village than it did an endorsed eatery for one of the world's biggest names in filmmaking. Was this actually the right place? A quick look at the plates in front of the people who were already sat down answered that question. On every table, light golden brown, flaky, all in the unmistakable shape of Totoro himself. We ordered one of every flavour, then decided it was probably best to try and walk some of that off. We have now eaten four tiny cream puff Totoros. And they are just as delicious as you'd want a pastry, cream-filled Totoro to ever be. I was concerned that it might be a little bit rich for a mid-morning snack, but actually they were very light. Absolutely. Uh, four different flavours, chocolate, chestnut, custard, and raspberry and cream cheese. Mm. What was your favourite? My favourite was chocolate. I a think very nice, rich, whipped, mousse-type chocolate. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think my ranking would probably go chocolate, chestnut, custard, raspberry cream cheese. Raspberry cream cheese was a bit rich. Yeah, I think, I think that it's that thing, as you said, it is still the morning at this point, and raspberry and cream cheese is a lot to be stuffing your face with, along with three other cream-based <laughs> products at the same time. I think I'd agree with your ranking apart from I'd go custard over chestnut. The chestnut one was almost too subtle. Oh, I don't know about that. With a cup of coffee? Ah. Lovely chestnut Totoro. I'll be paying a lot of import tax to get these over, but I feel like I'm going to have to make them part of my daily routine now. The cream puffs were not just delicious, they were beautiful to look at. Even though they're just little bits of pastry and cream, there's a precision and love in each one of them that makes them feel that they're created with real care and affection for Ghibli. The same goes for the gift shop on the ground floor. On the surface, like the cafe, it could be a small rural bakery, but closer inspection of the art on the walls reveals a more familial relationship. I did some digging online, 
And it turned out that that personal connection was perhaps even closer than we first imagined. Yeah, so every article about this place does say that it's owned by Hayao Miyazaki's sister-in-law. Right. And you did find the company details and Miyazaki was the same with the owner. Yeah, it's, it's up on the website. And so I'd like to think that this is, well, it's a family business that's really running out of the studio. And you can certainly see that there's the personal connection because when you go into the shop that's downstairs, the cafe is upstairs, but downstairs in the shop, the wall, the walls are completely adorned with Miyazaki sketches. Mm. Both production sketches from Naushka, cell artwork from Naushka, but then also original sketches. It seems that whenever Miyazaki comes in, he's there sketching away. You see the bath guy from Spirited Away. The guy with all the levers and the great mustache. The big spidery guy. Who else did we see? We saw a, a sketch of a grumpy smoking Miyazaki himself. <laughs> it was hard going from that to our hotel breakfast the next morning, wasn't it, Michael? That's very true, Jake. We'd ended up in a hotel that had an apparently full Irish breakfast. And frankly, the less said about that, the better. But on the brighter side, we now had a belly full of forest spirits. Shirohiga's Cream Puff Factory has set us up for our next adventure in Japan. We were heading to the Studio Ghibli Museum. The films, the location, the design, everything has been really wonderful about this museum. So every three months, four months, we should come back, deal? Yeah, I think so, yeah. We've got <laughs> the money for that. <laughs> Let's just look down the back of the sofa. <laughs> the Ghibli Museum. We actually made it. And that's what's coming up on our next episode, as well as our continued search for the best merch we can fit in our suitcase and Jake's quest to find that elusive Only Yesterday poster. And beyond the museum, we've got our conversations all about working in Japan as an animator and our checking with Studio Ponok, the team behind Mary and the Witch's Flower and Modest Heroes. You can find more photos and videos and other treats from our trip at ghibliotech.tumblr.com. And you can keep up with us on Twitter at Ghibliotech. And you can find Michael over there at Michael J. Leader. And Jake is also on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe. And Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts and Harold McShiel. This episode was edited by Jack Claremont. Thanks to John Harris, Evan Marr, Annie Hughes, Dan Jones and Karis Gaskin for their help putting the trip together and to everyone who sent in their Tokyo recommendations. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.